0: All right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good morning. I guess the trick to get people to come to a different service is to offer lunch after. Isn't it? All of you 9 a.m. people said amen. You guys are the one. You, you I know who you are. You know, I know you orchestrate your whole day according to food, you know, to say, uh, hey, they said food was after the 11, I'm coming to the eleven. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> this will be fun today uh, So if you are, don't know what I'm talking about There's a Friendsgiving after the service um, today uh, You can say a little prayer The setup is outside uh, The weather says it's supposed to rain at 12 So um, if we have to adjust We're going to need everyone's help We're going to turn the sanctuary into Friendsgiving So uh, we'll see how that goes And what happens in the next hour or so Hey, if you are here today and you're new Please grab a connect card on your seat Fill that out Give it to us at the end of the service, uh, either on your way out in the lobby or on your way out this way, and we'd love to exchange that for a gift and just to get to know you better, help you get plugged in. Uh, also, we already ran out of them this morning, so there's not any uh, after this service. But next week we will have many more. Uh, like I said last week, there's going to be a list of items needed and a uh, local family contact information so that you can go buy uh, boxes and fill them with stuff for Thanksgiving and then deliver it to the family and hopefully minister to them and pray for them and show them the love of Jesus. And so uh, the last service took them all. Those jerks, you know, didn't share any with you. And uh, now there's going to be more, though, coming next week. So just come ready for that next week as we uh, plan to serve during this Thanksgiving season. Also, just a reminder that tomorrow is food deliveries. It is the third Monday, even though it feels like the second because it's only the 15th. So uh, just as an FYI, if you're looking at your calendar, remember tomorrow. uh, Come help us deliver food. Uh, to the local families in need. So today is our last Sunday in our little mini-series that the Holy Spirit has been leading us into called Stress, Depressed, or at Rest. I hope that this series has been a blessing to you. It is certainly only here by the providence uh, of God, and so it's been a real blessing to me. Uh, next week, we begin four weeks in the book of Ruth, and hopefully we gain a deeper understanding of God's plan to bring Jesus into the world I'm excited for that, also because we had planned to do Ruth ahead of, like, months ago, um, before even this whole shift happened with uh, from Ecclesiastes into this, uh, and it's cool to see God orchestrate these things, because Ruth, uh, even though it'll definitely teach us some other things as well, continues the thought process of how does my pain, uh, how do I work out my pain in light of God's purposes? And what does it look like for me to have the perspective of Jesus on my pain, on my struggle? Uh, because that's what we're going to see a lot in Ruth, is the pathway to the Messiah uh, was often through the pain of people. And God is using that providentially to bring, apart, bring to pass his purposes. Uh, and so we're going to, uh, even though we're moving on from this particular series, we're going to continue to learn a thing about how God wants us to handle the struggles and difficulties of our lives. And so that's next week. Please come join us. Um, and I also just personally want to say thank you for your prayers. You guys have been um, very kind to me and my family, very supportive and encouraging. Thanks for the text and and just the, the, the nice things you guys have done. Uh, and so I just want to say, if we feel very loved by y'all, I do have some good news that over the last probably two weeks, maybe more like 10 days, at least personally for me, the cloud has lifted to a great degree, and the Lord has provided some light Uh, And I'm very encouraged by that. And so as much as I share how difficult some things have been, I also want to share the encouraging aspect that things seem to be getting better. And I'm very thankful for your support and encouragement in that. And so I just wanted you to know, and hopefully your heart can be encouraged by that, at least for my sake, but also maybe for yours, that the Lord can do the same in your situation as well. Today, as we close our time in this series, the sermon is called The Effect of Endurance. And I simply want to encourage all of you not to give up and to stay the course. That's my encouragement to you today, is to not give up and to stay the course. Whatever your situation, whatever your season, whatever difficulties you may be facing, whatever internal or external battles you may be waging, my simple encouragement that is going to be backed up by the scriptures today is that you would not give up. And I want to give you an idea of what this is going to look like for you, because I think it's going to be the opposite of how you would plan to endure or what you think endurance actually looks like. Uh, So this summer, I had gone uh, tubing with some people, and I hadn't gone tubing in a couple years, probably. I'm not 23 anymore, and so I didn't realize uh, how difficult this would probably be for me. And I went with a bunch of high schoolers, and I had to prove myself, you know. I can't get punked out by them. And so we're on the tube, and it's awesome, and it's fun. But eventually, you know, my grip, I just, yeah, just I guess I'm not as strong as it. I just started to lose the grip. I just couldn't hold on any longer. And the only thing that left me holding on any longer was my pride and my, my respect for my own reputation. And so uh, my grip was gone. I mean, you are slinging us around, you know. And eventually I learned uh, that I had forgotten this, that listen, I was holding on tight the whole time, you know, so you can only do this for so long. And the next go around, I was like, okay, when it's easy, I should just barely hang on with my pinkies, you know, and then when it's hard, I'm going to grip and that helped me. Uh, But I did fall first with a bunch of high schoolers. It was very humiliating. And so the Lord humbles uh, all of us in different ways or another. But some of you might be feeling that kind of way this morning, or it's like the grip that you have on life is slowly, slowly wearing out, and you feel like you simply can't hang on anymore. Just like me on that tube, you might have other motivations that are allowing you to hold still and to hold the course, to hold the rope, so to speak, for now, but your grip is wearing out, and you know it's going to slip, and you simply would say to me, I don't know how much longer I can hold on. I don't know how much longer I can endure this particular situation. I don't know how much longer I can manage this season. I don't know how much longer I can deal with these emotions. I don't know how much longer I can wage these battles in my head. I don't know how much longer I can deal with this difficulty, this family situation, this emotional, relational, physical, mental, spiritual battle. I don't know how much longer my grip is falling apart. I can't hold on very much longer. Here I am. I sit here Sunday morning. Please help me. Well, I have a word for you from the Lord this morning that I believe has helped me a lot as well. And what you're going to see, I think, is the opposite of what you think, and that your endurance and ability to continue and not give up is not about you holding on, but about you learning to let go. And this is going to change your perspective on what does it look like for me to endure and for me to have persistence and perseverance and to not give up. But it's not about you holding on as tight as you can for as long as you can, but it's going to be about you learning to let go. And trust the Lord. So we're going to look at James 1 this morning. Go ahead and open your Bible to James chapter 1. Let's go. go. All right. All right. Let's be excited for the Word of God this morning. This is the essential thing that we need. James chapter 1, just a few verses starting in verse 2. He says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just a few short verses, but it's packed with some profound truth for us this morning. Honestly, when you look at it, it's quite a crazy passage. If you thought about it for more than three seconds, the basic premise is to be happy in hard times. If you were just to simplify in the most simple English possible, it would be to be happy when things are hard, to actually look at your troubles and say, thank you for bringing me all this joy, to consider the difficulties and stresses and struggles of your life an opportunity for you to have joy. Now, how in the world are you supposed to do this? This sounds backwards. This sounds ignorant. This sounds unrealistic. You know, this sounds like the opposite of helpful advice. It just sounds super stupid. Why in the world would I be able to look at these things and engage them with joy? How am I even supposed to do that? That sounds unrealistic. And you know, throughout this series, we have been uh, talking about being stressed, depressed, or at rest. And one of the main frustrations of being overwhelmed, frustrated, sad, emotional, emotional, mental, relational struggle, one of the main frustrations is not just the frustration and the problem and the difficulty itself, but that you have to begin to manage it joylessly, is that the problem has now not only been a problem, but it's taken away your joy. And the internal motivation that you had to manage your crisis and struggles in life has whittled away. And the joy that you had to manage and kind of lead you through your life at various levels of your life is now one of the very things that is going away because of your struggle. So not only do you have to face the struggle, but you have to do so without much internal motivation and joy. This is one of the things that was very difficult for me as I was describing it to my wife. I felt like I had built my whole life on like this joy of the Lord is my strength that allows me to manage all these different things that are happening. And it was like somebody just came one day and took it away right from under me. It's like all that joy that you built your life on to manage all these difficulties, gone. You're just gonna take it, you know? It's like somebody, I just, it was like somebody just stole it. It was like I, out of nowhere, just... Friday afternoon, it just was stolen from me. And then, you know, as I've been sharing over the last few weeks, those difficulties began to really get increased because of that. And I feel like many of you might be in that position this morning or have been, where not only are you dealing with this season, but you're really struggling to even have internal motivation and perspective and joy to manage it. So my prayer for you is this, Colossians one eleven says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy you should write this verse down and you should use it to text all your friends and family all the time. This is one of my favorite verses to to use because of what it's saying here. It's not that you would just have endurance and patience. It's not that you would just grit your teeth and bear it. God's perspective is not that you would just get through it, but that you would learn to have joy in it. And once again, apart from the supernatural work of God through the scriptures, this sounds crazy. It's unrealistic, that's exactly the point. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And so the main uh, section in this James chapter one, I think is important for us this morning. He says this, "Let let steadfastness or endurance or perseverance have its full effect. Basically what he's saying is let this situation do everything it is supposed to do for you let it work itself out, let it work itself in, let it have its full effect. Imagine this, it's like your trial or your struggle is the charger and your soul is the phone. And basically what the text is saying is, don't quit now, you're only at 60%. Don't pull it off yet. You haven't been charged up all the way. What God has intended to do in this particular season isn't done yet. And so don't give up. Don't quit. Something is happening in this trial, in this situation, in this struggle. Let it have its full effect, not partial effect, Not a little bit of effect, let it have its full effect. And this has been extremely motivational for me because now there becomes a lot of purpose in the midst of it. To say this is not just something for me to get through. Or as we have said, the goal in our difficulties is not just to get out of it, but to get out of it everything God has for us in it. This is your perspective that must change to say, my goal, even though getting out of it might be well and good, but my goal is not just to get out of it, but to get out of it everything God has for me in it, to let it have its full effect. To let it have its full effect. So unto this end, James is going to work out kind of a train of thought. We need to answer the question, how does this work? What does it look like to actually do this? And so here's the summary of, of two through four, basically is, That trials come, he says in 2 and 3, as a test of faith. At the very least, there might be other factors involved, but at the very least, these trials come as a test of our faith. This test, or these tests that come to us in our faith, they produce what's called endurance or steadfastness. Why does the trial come? To produce steadfastness, to reveal something about your faith, to make it stronger as a matter of fact. This is important. Why is this important? Why is this process happening? Because endurance, perseverance, or steadfastness is the very thing that's going to lead to you being perfect, i.e. complete, fully mature, lacking nothing in your faith. Now we're going to see what being perfect means, because it's probably not what you initially think it means right now. But this is the process that the text is laying out. The idea then is that our trials and struggles are the very thing that move us towards a more complete place to be the very person God has created us to be, as if we could never get there without them. And now all of a sudden, not only are they things that are real in our life, they become a necessary reality for us to be the very thing God is calling us to be, which is one of the reasons why we can look at them and count them as joy. It's like those little walkways at the airport, right? The trial is the very thing that you're getting on that is actually carrying you to the place that you are supposed to be, a place of completion, a place of maturity, a place where you are lacking nothing in your faith. This is the train of thought that the that the Bible's playing out for us. So I want to go through it piece by piece because this is a big thing to say and this is a big perspective for you to have on your struggle and this is certainly not my idea. And so I want to show you from the scriptures exactly how God wants this to work out for you. So starting in the first part he says, "Count all joy when you face here's the phrase, trials of various kinds." What a wonderful word and phrase for him to use because now he has just included everyone. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is for you. Tell them, this is for you. I don't care who you are, or where you came from. This message is for you. This text is for you. Trials of various kinds, external, internal. Trials of temptations, trials that come from persecutions. Trials of mental, spiritual, emotional, relational, and physical battles. Bring your trial to this text, and James has a word for you. So go ahead and bring it now. Just mentally be present and say, here's my struggle, my trial, my season. I am placing it in this context of James chapter 1 because he said when you meet trials of various kinds, meaning that whatever trial you are bringing to the table, the word has a word for you. And so bring it now, consciously make a decision to bring it to the table and let the word of God have something to say to you this morning. This is for you. What does this trial do? It says, when you know that the testing of your faith, we're going to stop there for a second. This is the phrase, the testing of your faith. A trial is not a test of your feelings. It is a test of your faith. The trial does not come to assess your feelings. Therefore, you cannot use your feelings to measure how you're doing in the trial. The trial never came to test your feelings. The trial came to test your faith. The trial did not come to test your life. It came to test your faith. The trial did not come to test your strength. It came to test your faith. The trial did not come to test your intellect. It came to test your faith. The trial did not come to test your desires. It came to test your faith. Therefore, the very weapon you must use to engage the trial is your faith. That's where the battle is being waged. So how crazy is it for you to let your feelings lead the way when the test is on your faith? Or for you to say, well, I'm feeling low, so my faith must be weak. But what if it's the opposite? You cannot use your feelings to assess the strength of your faith. What if your faith is growing stronger as your feelings get deeper and weaker you see what I'm saying? The trial comes to test the faith. So if you engage the trial with anything other than your faith, you're going to be fighting the battle on the wrong field. And you're not going to be bringing the weapon that you need. And so I want first and foremost to get so many of you in the realm of faith this morning to say we've talked about all the common grace means by which we can deal with our emotional and physical and mental struggles and doctors and medicines and all these things that can be helpful and rest and rhythms and all these things are very important for us. But the primary place at which a battle wages for the Christian is always faith. Faith. The trial comes to test your faith, not your feelings. So don't be all up in your feelings and not all up in your faith. It's going to be a game changer for you. I'm telling you, it's a word for the Lord to change how you navigate your crisis. So, now here's something very important about this. So faith, okay, okay. If a trial comes to test your faith, then we need to understand a little bit more about faith. Here's something for you to consider. Number one, faith is a gift from God, Ephesians 2. This gift is delivered and upheld by the Word of God, Romans chapter 10. Therefore, ultimately, faith is not something you hold on to, but something that holds on to you. Faith is God's, and therefore, a faith that is from God cannot fail. You see what I'm saying? You have gotten the wrong perspective. When you say my faith, you have put too much of that on you. Faith is not something you hold on to, but it's something that holds on to you. Faith is a gift from God, created by God and given by God, upheld by the word of God, not by your intellect or understanding of it. Therefore, even though it is surely your faith and you operate in that faith and you have to make decisions and act according to faith, yes, ultimately though, it's not finally yours, it is God's and it's something God has given to you. Therefore, the test on your faith is a test on something that is God's and something that therefore cannot fail. Now this is where this gets really applicable to your life because you may be barely holding on, but God is fully holding on to you. My feelings say I'm barely holding on. Just like the tube, I'm gonna lose my grip but my faith says God is fully holding on to me. That's when you switch, I'm not gonna operate in my feelings because I feel like I'm barely holding on. And that feeling is true, as a feeling. But it's not true as the truth. You came in here this morning, you said I'm barely holding on. What I want you to know if you are in Christ is that God is fully holding on to you. God's grip never wears out. God doesn't get tired. And so your faith, you must remember, is not in your ability, but God's. Faith is an act of trust. You believe, and in your belief, you receive something from God. Faith is something that God gives you and makes you dependent like a child, not strong like a warrior. Faith is the very thing that God has given you to give you eternity into heaven with him. It is something based off what Christ has done and earned for you. It has never been based off you anyways. And so now, instead of you trying to maintain and hold on to your faith, It's not about holding on necessarily, but more about letting go. Start trusting the Lord to do the very things for you that he has promised to do. It is a gift from God. You may be barely holding on, but it is God that is fully holding on to you. And instead of trying to tighten your grip on the tube of your life, what if the Lord is calling you to let it go and to trust that he's covering you, holding on for you? What if endurance looks less like holding on and more like letting go. I think this is what James wants to reveal to us this morning. So it's a test of your faith, not of your feelings. You may be barely holding on, but God is fully holding on to you. This faith, it says, produces steadfastness. This is the next phrase that we must understand. It produces endurance perseverance, steadfastness. Basically, the idea here is that this test of your faith is the very thing that is making you stronger. Now, those of you who run it all know this. It's something I've learned over the last few years. You know, you guys know I run. I don't describe myself as a runner, but I do run to try to stay healthy, okay? And so you learn this over time, that the pain of learning to go one mile is the very thing you need to go two, You know what I'm saying? I can't learn to run two until I've endured the pain of running one. But as many of you know this, all of a sudden the other day I kept thinking about this, how now running three feels like running one. The same effort it took to run one it's the same effort it takes to now run three. I don't feel any more tired after three than I did after one. And the reason for that is because the test and the pain and endurance in the pain is the very thing that made me stronger, that made, enabled me to do things on the other side more easily than I could have never done in the first place. You see what I'm saying? Now, spiritually, this is exactly what faith is doing for you. It is making you stronger. And this is when you say, okay, if I cannot avoid the pain of running one mile so I can learn to run three, then I cannot avoid the pain of this particular struggle so I can learn to manage the next one. Or so that I can learn to grow and become more like Christ in the way he has called me to. Now, instead of this being an inconvenience, you see it as a necessity to you being the person God has called you to be. It may be difficult, and it's not pleasant. It's not saying it's a good thing. But what if you viewed it more as a necessity in your life for you to become the person God has called you to be? Now, here's a phrase the world uses all the time that I think is foolish. People say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And what I want to say tonight is that's jibber-jabber. That doesn't make any sense. I've seen a lot of people get killed and not get stronger. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I've seen a lot of people crumble and not rebuild their life. What's this idea that all of a sudden everybody's going to accomplish everything on the other side of the trial? I've lived at least long enough to see that that doesn't work out. Actually, most of the time. Most of the time, what destroys you, destroys you. Most of the time, there is no gold at the end of that thing. You know, most of the time, for most people, this is simply not true. But you know where it is true? In the kingdom of God. This phrase is true, but only for the Christian. This is a wonderful thing. Look at this. And so for those of you who are in the room, you say, man, I'm trying to manage my life on my own. I'm calling you again today as every week to believe and trust in Jesus. Not only do you need a savior, but you're being so foolish trying to navigate life in your own strength. What kills you will kill you. You need something stronger than yourself. You need more than resolve. You need more than discipline. You need more than good connections. You need more than good fate. You need more than good luck. You need a savior. You need something to transform your life. You need faith. And so would you stop believing the lies of the world? Would you see through them this morning and put your faith in Christ? Stop trusting in yourself. But for many of us to say, I have put my faith in Jesus... I want you to understand then that therefore this is true. What doesn't kill you will make you stronger because the thing that's making you stronger is your faith. And faith operates strength and weakness. This is amazing. This is amazing. Because now, okay, now you say, I don't feel stronger. Uh, this, This actually seems to be destroying me, you know, this whole situation. I actually can't do it anymore. So I don't know what you're talking about. But... When you place your life in the realm of the kingdom of God, faith, right now, feelings say, I feel weak. Faith says, when I am weak, I am strong. I'm going to let that sit just for a second, because you need that. You have been operating with the wrong definition of strength. Your expectation is the wrong understanding of strength. In the kingdom, strength isn't self-sufficiency, but dependence. To be more dependent is to have more strength. To need more from Jesus is to be stronger in myself. Actually, to be weak is the very place where God's strength is revealed in my life. I keep telling this to the staff, I feel like I am, I am operating out of this place of weakness and it seems like God is doing more than ever in my entire life because when I am weak, God says, finally, now I can use your life. You see? And so now you got to get it right to say, I, I thought I would feel strong and victorious. And somebody told me there was a breakthrough coming. And the breakthrough might be coming, but it might be the fact that in your weakest moments, God is doing the most in your life and making you stronger than ever. You have to redefine strength. So what doesn't kill you does make you stronger, but only if you're a Christian and have faith. So I invite many of you to trust and believe in Christ today. Here's the next phrase. It says, let steadfastness have its full effect. This is the phrase that really got me going. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. You must stay the course so the work of God can run its course. Come on, don't give up now. Don't stop fighting those battles in your head. I mean, keep, keep, put the word of God there. Fix your eyes on heaven. Don't stop dealing. Don't give up on your emotions. Don't just start binging on Netflix because you can't handle it anymore. No, 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 no. It's worth the fight. Do not give up. Do not give up on your life. Do not give up on your calling. Do not give up on what God wants to do in you. Do not give up on who God has called you to be. Do not give up on the hope that you have of a life lived for God, unto God. Do not give up on the fact that things can change. Do not give up on the fact that it's not over yet. Simply don't give up. Because if it's not finished, the reason is because God's not finished. Stay the course and let the work of God run its course. This is what God is doing. Now, this gives you purpose in the midst of it to say, this is not meaningless, and I do not just have to grip my teeth and get through it. God is working in this moment, and he's doing things not only in me but through me, and there's a necessity to this moment that's going to become who I'm supposed to become, that's leading to who I'm supposed to be. This moment is not finished. This season is not finished. This trial is not finished simply because God's not finished. So don't give up. Stay the course. Let the work of God run its course in your life. Trust him. He knows what he is doing. Don't pull the phone off the charger too soon. Let it have its full effect. Here's the next phrase he says, that you may be perfect and complete. This is the end result. Why are we doing all of this, persevering, enduring, all this? What's the end goal? He says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is an interesting phrase because I don't expect you to endure and wake up tomorrow and be perfect human being. Sinless, perfect. That's not the expectation. Now, here's, here's what's happening, okay? This is theologically beautiful. So what happens when you get saved? Okay, you believe and trust in Jesus. You receive the free gift of eternal life from him. In that moment, you become what he is. You get all of his righteousness. He takes all of your sin. So in the moment of your salvation, you are already perfect and complete in the eyes of God. Because he sees you like he sees Jesus, who is perfect and complete. And so what happens then in the rest of your life is that because you still live in the flesh and you still fight against the spiritual powers that be and you're still navigating life on this broken earth, even though spiritually and in God's eyes because of what Jesus has already done, which he didn't give you partially but fully, you are perfect and complete. But practically, you are becoming, as you live, what you already are. And so now what is happening is your trial and struggle And battle and difficulty is the very thing that's helping you make progress towards completion. That you would become everything God saw that you would become the moment he saved your life. You see what I'm saying? saying? So I'm running this race of my life. One day I'm going to stand before God, and in that moment before Jesus, I will finally, completely, without any caveats or qualifications, be perfect and complete. I will receive my heavenly body. I I will be everything God has called me to be. I will be sinless. I will not struggle with these things anymore. When I stand before Jesus, there is a day coming when I will be perfect and complete, which is a wonderful hope if you feel broken right now, you know? There is a day of completion. Don't let the devil lie to you that it will always be this way. That's not true. It's not true. You will not always struggle. You won't. One day you will be perfect and complete in every sense of the word. And so you look towards that and you say yes and amen. And that's beautiful, but you're back here, you know. Now, some of you need to be realistic. You're like right here. And you need to get your life right with Jesus, okay. But probably many of you, you're back here somewhere. You're working your way towards that. And what the, when God sends the trial, He's making you stronger. He's creating faith that's more dependent on Jesus. And you begin to progress through the trial towards completion in your faith and a complete maturity, which means that even though this thing may be feeling like it's weakening you, God says it's actually strengthening you because you may feel stuck. But God says, you're making progress. You see what I'm saying? What an amazing truth. Say, okay. Now, this is also going, this is part of the test to say, okay, if I have faith in Christ, therefore, my main desire ought to be to be like him. When I get changed by him, my complete desire heart shift changes to wanting to be like him. And so, if this trial and struggle is the very thing leading me towards a place of completion that I may be more like my Savior, which is the very thing that I want, then I can look at it and count it as joy. But what gets revealed, which is what has happened to me too in some ways, is to say, Yes, I want that. But then God sends the test to say, Do you really? Do you really? And then what happens if you're honest with yourself is some idols of the heart begin to get exposed to say, yes, I want that. But I kind of want this and this and this too. And sometimes maybe they're even more elevated than that. And so then the trial comes as God's gift to you to prune away and get rid of all of these idols in your heart to love something else and to fix your eyes back on being more like Christ, and to make that the main goal of your life. So then you can say, man, this season is hard. This mental, emotional, spiritual, relational battle is so hard, and I feel stuck. But if the goal is not to get out of it, but to get out of it everything God wants for me in it, and God is losing this trial towards completion, then even when I feel stuck, I know I'm making progress. Listen, your perspective, your earthly perspective of this trial is that it has come to weaken you, but God's heavenly perspective says it's here to strengthen you. My feelings say I feel weak, but my faith says when I am weak, I am strong. God is completing, Philippians 1.6, the very thing he started in you. And he is often using the struggles and trials and difficulties of your life to help you make progress. And this is where you ought to begin to find your hope. And I've certainly seen this play out in my life over the last several weeks. So this perspective, I think, is life-changing for us. Now, how do we leave leave from here and live this out? I wanna show you just the extension of this passage as we close our time together in verse five. I think oftentimes, especially those who've grown up in church or whatever we know probably part of this section of scripture but we've pulled it out of its context so we don't really know why it's there let me explain this to you verse five if anyone lacks wisdom let him ask god who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So see the progress in the train of thought. Look at your trials, brothers and sisters, and count them as joy, because they are enabling you to endure, and your endurance is making you perfect and complete and making you become more like Jesus. What you think is killing you is the very thing that's making you stronger. And you know what you need to believe that and to live that out every day? Wisdom. Not a sticky sentence you wrote down from Pastor Nate on Sunday, which hopefully helps you. But you need wisdom. You say, he says, this is if any of you lacks wisdom, wisdom to know what to do right now when I'm feeling so beat down and stressed. Wisdom to know how the word of God applies to this situation. Wisdom to know what is God's perspective that's gonna strengthen me and help me walk this. I need the wisdom that comes from above, as James 3:17 says, not earthly wisdom. I need the wisdom of God. And he says, You're gonna need wisdom because knowledge will inform you, but wisdom will transform you. Knowledge informs, but wisdom applies. And this is what he wants for you is to say you need the wisdom of God to be able to take these things that you're learning and apply them tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock when you're sad and can't get out of bed. Because this sermon is not going to do it for you tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock when you're sad and you can't get out of bed. You need the wisdom of God. The perspective of God. You need the Word of God. In your heart and in your soul. Amen. The sermon is not going to help you Thursday afternoon when you have another difficult conversation, one more difficult moment, and you say, I cannot do this anymore. You need the wisdom from God, you need the Word of God. Leading the way in your life. He says, if anybody lacks the wisdom they need to know how to live this out on a day-to-day basis in the complexity of your life, in the complexity of your situation, in the complexity of your battle, in the complexity of your feelings, there is not one-size-fits-all word for this, but the wisdom of God that you need delivered to you day in and day out. He says, if any of you lacks the wisdom you need, let him ask God Who loves you so much and like a happy father gives generously to you. What a wonderful word for us. Here's something for you to write down is that wisdom makes the connection between God's will and my walk. Wisdom is the very thing that's going to make the connection for me from God's will. What does God think? What does God want? What does the word of God say to my walk? How does that fit into this moment in this conversation? How does that fit into this overwhelming feeling? How does the wisdom of God help me navigate this ruminating thought? How does the wisdom of God help me deal with my anxieties and fears? How does the wisdom of God help me handle my discontentment on Wednesday morning or Wednesday night? How does the wisdom of God help me manage this moment that is unique to me and my situation? That is exactly what the Word of God wants to do. Wisdom makes the connection between God's will and my walk, which is once again why you need to feed your faith with the Word of God, because the Word of God is going to give you the wisdom of God, which is going to allow you to put your faith in God, and then allow you to be strong in the midst of your trials. Wisdom makes the connection between God's will in my walk. Now here's here's the here's the reality for us. You read this passage and some of us have read it or been taught and we say, Well, it looks like you can't doubt, like doubting looks very bad here. And in some sense, obviously, it can be. But the expectation of the Bible, which is clear throughout the scriptures, is not that you would never doubt. That is not God's expectation of your life, nor is that what the Bible would presume. The question isn't, do you have faith in doubts? Everybody would say yes. The question is, do your doubts talk to your faith? Or does your faith talk to your doubts? Who's in charge in your mind? It's like we've talked about with, your, with the train of thoughts and helping understand, okay? You have doubts and you have faith. Some of you have put doubts in the, in the leader area of the train, With the engineer guy, you know, and your doubts are leading the way and the train in your mind. And maybe your faith is back here somewhere and it's kind of trying to inform what you're doing. But really your doubts are leading the train of thinking and now it's leading you into a place of destruction. And what God wants to say is not that you would never have doubts, but that your faith would talk to your doubts more than your doubt talks to your faith. Put your faith in charge. Let your faith lead the train put your doubts in the caboose. It's not that they're not supposed to be there, but it's that they're not supposed to be in charge. And some of you have let your doubts take charge of your life. As opposed to letting faith lead the way and putting your doubts behind you. I want you to see verse 12 says this. I want to put your eyes now kind of moving forward on the hope that is to come. Because as we just read here, God is generous. Oftentimes in our trials, we feel like God is being stingy. Oftentimes when we feel like we lack, we feel like God is withholding something from us. But I want you to know, scripturally speaking, that God is only generous with his children. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how much more so will he graciously give us all things? God is always, hear me, being generous with you. Always. My feelings say I lack my faith says I have enough. My feelings say God is withholding from me, but my faith says he is being generous as my father. So this is what the scripture says. You put your eyes on the hope that is to come. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he has stood the test, of, when he, has stood the test he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so now you put your eyes on the hope that is to come. On the generosity of God to say, as I endure, the effect of endurance is not only maturity and completion on this earth at various growing levels, it's not only a stronger faith, it's not only all all of these things, but the effect of my endurance is ultimately the crown of life. And ultimately, as I fix my eyes on things that are unseen right now, but that will be seen in eternity forever. We get our example from Jesus, Hebrews 12 two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. This is what we learn from the way of Jesus that we begin to apply for ourselves, that if the joy that was set before Jesus was the essential motivation he needed to endure the cross, then the joy that is set before us is also the essential motivation we need to bear the cross that we are given. Feelings look at all your circumstances and say, this is too much. But faith looks at the price to come and says, I can't wait. If joy was Jesus' motivation, how much more so should it be yours and mine? And so, as we close this series, as we close this time, considering what is it like, how do we manage being stressed, depressed, or at rest, anxious and troubled, burdened, frustrated, overwhelmed, discontent, depressed. Ultimately, I want you to leave this place thinking about where are you looking? You have three choices leaving from here. Three choices. You can look at your circumstances and you can face them in your own strength. You can spend all your time assessing the situation and thinking about what has happened to you, what is happening to you, what will happen to you. You can spend all your energy looking left and looking right and trying to face it in your own strength and be totally, completely destroyed by that. Your second option is you can look away completely for all you Enneagram sevens out there and you just ignore the fact that something bad is happening. You can escape and binge and give yourself to worldly pleasures to say, I'm not going to think about it. I'm just not going to look there. Some of you say, I'm going to look at it head on and you're going to try to tackle it yourself, and you're always going to ruminate in your mind about things that are happening to you or things that, what, you just think, 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 think. you're just looking, 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 looking at your circumstances. That's destroying you and creating so much burdens in your life. There's those of you that are trying to escape. You're looking elsewhere. You're looking at the drink. You're looking at the computer. You're looking at this person. You're looking at this vacation. You're just looking somewhere else to say, how can I escape from my reality? You can take that option. That will also ruin you because it's not going to do for you what you need it to do for you. Your third option when you leave from here is that you can set your gaze and look upon on Jesus, and in faith, you can fix your eyes on him, your savior, your lover, your guide, your helper, your your leader, and you can receive the comfort and strength that he gives to you, because endurance isn't about holding on as long as you can, but it's about letting go and trusting him. Listen to me, you can't always control what your life looks like, but you can control where you look. So fix your eyes on Jesus and don't give up. Let me pray for us. Let's respond to the Lord. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you've given us hope. We thank you that you've poured out your love on us by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the promise of scripture. We pray for every soul in this room, God, that they would be made right with you, that there would be nobody that leaves this place still without a personal relationship with you by faith, God. I pray that you would work a miracle. I just pray as I have been praying just for endurance, God, that you would give your people endurance and that you would teach us to endure more by letting go and less by you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for leading us into this season. We thank you for the healing and the restoration and the hope that you're giving us. We thank you for your father heart for us. Thank you for your care towards us. We love you and we respond now in faith as we sing Us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once you stand, let's respond to the Lord.